0: Thank you for listening to The Brook Podcast. We are real people, finding real hope in the real world. Learn more at thebrookchurch.net. Amen. All right. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 2. You can also follow along on your app, on the church app. We have the message outline that's included there. So again, talking about silent nights, talking about these prophecies, the Old Testament concerning the birth of Jesus and how exciting it's been to think about how Jesus was going to fulfill these prophecies. There are about 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled. Many of them concern the birth of Christ, but there are many, many more that have to do with other things regarding his life and his coming. This week I was able to find a scientist who actually studied the mathematical probabilities, the chances that even eight of those 300 prophecies could be fulfilled. A guy named uh, Peter Stoner wrote a book years and years ago called Science Speaks. And in this book, he does the math, considering what are the chances that even eight of the 300 prophecies would come true in the way that uh, they were predicted to come true. So what he figured is that for those prophecies to come come true, to be fulfilled, it would be um, 1 in 10 to the 17th power. That's a 10 with 17 zeros behind it. And he uses this analogy. So you take 10 to the 17th to the power, silver dollars, that many silver dollars, and you lay them across the face of Texas. They will cover all the state two feet deep. Mark one of those silver dollars, stir the whole pot up again, blindfold a man, tell him that he can travel as far as he wishes, but that he must travel to a certain point, and he must pick up the one marked silver dollar. What chance would it be for him to pick up that one marked silver dollar? 10 to the 17th power. This is the amazing truth of the prophecies of Christ. They've been given to us as evidences that the message of the gospel is true. That Jesus fulfills his promises. And so as we talk about the promise fulfilled at Christmas through the birth of Christ, what are those promises? What does it actually happen? So again, in the fullness of time, after centuries of waiting, after all these silent nights, finally the day would come when Jesus would be born. What was that fulfillment? What was that promise kept? Well, I think there are three things, and we're going to see it in Luke chapter 2 with the announcement that the angels bring to shepherds on the night of Christ's birth, here's what it says. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Promise made, promise finally kept. This is it. What does it mean? First of all, it means this. The promise of Christmas is a promise that I can release my fears. That I can release my fears. What the angel said to the shepherds was, fear not, fear not. I don't know if you know this or not, but that's the number one command given in the Bible, more than any other command that's given, is to fear not. Now, we can apply that in several ways. By Christ's presence, by His coming, by His birth, there are all kinds of fears that can be relieved through the presence of Christ. Fear of others. We need not fear others because we have Christ with us and in us. Fear of the future. We don't need to fear the future because we have Christ with us and in us. Fear of death. We don't need to fear death because of Jesus' birth the fact that He is present in our lives. We need not fear that. But in this context... Given what the shepherds experienced, I think the fear that we can be relieved of at Christmas time is the fear of God. The shepherds were terrified at the angels' announcements. They were terrified of this display of God before them. Just as the love of God is so difficult for us to comprehend, His unconditional love for us to grasp that, what is also true, and this is just a little glimpse of it here with the angels, with the shepherds, what is also true is his holiness, his righteousness, his power, his purity is also there's something that's so hard to grasp. There was a being like no other that was on display that night when the angels showed up to those shepherds. And that was just a symbol, just a mere token of the brilliance of God in who he is. The Bible gives us these little glimpses, these little signs of what the brilliance of God is in his holiness, in his righteousness, and in his purity. You may remember in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah's vision of the throne room, uh, throne room of God. Isaiah says that he saw God on his throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the throne room. And the foundations of the doorposts shook at the sound of his voice. And there were angels surrounding God there on the throne. And he said, woe is me. In response to what he saw, he said, woe is me. I'm a man undone, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Isaiah was realizing his unrighteousness, his unholiness in light of who God was. And then he says, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, just a glimpse of the beauty and the brilliance of the holiness of God. In Revelation chapter 4, in John's vision, again, of the throne of God, the Bible says, From the throne came flashes of lightning and peals of thunder. And the elders and the multitude of angels were there in heaven singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Worthy are you, they were singing. Worthy are you, God, to receive blessing and honor and glory And power. So it makes perfect sense that the shepherds would be terrified at this display. But in light of that fear, in light of that glory, in light of that brilliance, there was a baby that was born a baby in a manger. By right, we should fear him. But he came as a baby for a reason. God was trying to say something to us through his birth. This is what he was saying. That this holy, this righteous, this pure God is approachable. That we can know him. And he wore flesh and blood so that we might be reconciled to him and might be redeemed and have a relationship with the God of the universe. So the promise of Christmas is that whatever fears I might have of this holy and righteous God, which by the way are warranted because that's who he is, but through Christ I can release those fears. The Bible tells us about the the new relationship that we have with God, not one of fear, but the relationship that we can have have with God, As a result of Christ Jesus, in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, listen to this language, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Notice how approachable God is now. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has broken down the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. That wall that stood between us and God has now been torn down through Christ. And his birth means that for you and me. In Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul talks about our new relationship with God through Christ. It says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. We need not fear. That's not the spirit which we receive when we come to know Christ, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. We are children now of God, adopted as his sons and daughters, and by whom we cry, Abba, Father. By whom, by Christ, we cry out to God, Daddy. That's what Abba means. Daddy, Father a loving God, and a a living relationship with this loving God. Now, I remember what it was like to be at a distance from God. I remember what it was like before I came to faith in Christ to fear God and to feel in conflict with God, to feel that I was at a distance, to feel that dividing wall between myself and God. But then someone shared with me the good news of Jesus He died for my sins and that God loves me. And that dividing wall was absolutely torn down. So my fears were relieved. And this is the promise of Christmas, that we can approach God and give up our fears of Him. Here's the second promise of Christmas. It's a promise to rejoice in good news. (laughs) Good news. Look at what the angel said to the shepherds. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all The people. This week I read a story of a little boy who came home from Sunday school and his mother asked him what he had learned. The little boy said that they had learned about this man named Moses who was leading the Israelites to run away from the Egyptians, and the Egyptians were chasing them. And so the mom said, well, what happened in the story? And the little boy said, well, Moses and the Israelites were running away, and they came to this great big river, and they couldn't cross the river, so Moses had the people build a bridge, and they built this bridge, and all the Israelites crossed over, and they got to the other side, and then Moses called in an airstrike, and the jets came, (laughs) And blew up the bridge, and the Egyptians couldn't chase them anymore because the, the bridge was blown up. <laughs> the mother said, Is that really what your teacher said? And the little boy said, That's not what she said, but you wouldn't believe the story she told us. <laughs> we read some of these miraculous stories and we go, Wow. Now, we like to, you know, we like to make the, the, the cradle and there in the manger nice and neat and tidy and all this, but let me tell you, it was filled with chaos and craziness. Think about the things that took place there in the birth of Jesus, an out of wedlock pregnancy, a virgin birth, angels first appearing. The first ones to receive the news outside of Joseph and Mary were the angels or the shepherds, sorry, the shepherds, who were the lowest class of citizens in that society. The birth in an unexpected, unplanned location. We knew this couple in Orlando when we were in Orlando many years ago. They were part of our church, and they were having their third child, and she was due and began going into labor at home. And They began driving to the hospital, and she said, this baby is coming now. We're not going to make it to the hospital. And they actually happened to be by the church, so they pulled into the church parking lot. The lady had the baby right there in the car. It was a larger church, and so we had several parking lots, and we named the parking lots different names. Love, Joy, Peace, Patience, all those. And we had one parking lot named Faith. And the baby was born in the Faith parking lot, so they ba- they named their little girl Faith <laughs> in that parking lot. It was an amazing thing for them. An unusual birth, right? And then you think about the birth happening not only in an unusual location, as far as Bethlehem is concerned, an unplanned location, but also in a manger, a barn, a stable. And again, we like to clean it up, right? But this was a pretty rotten place when you come to think about it. Okay, hey, no matter how poor you are, no baby should ever be born in a, in a barn, really. And you think about, well, why would, why would God arrange things in this way? Why would this take place in this way? Why would God, the creator of heaven and earth, have his son, his son be born in such a lowly place? And I thought, maybe, maybe it's because that's where he seeks to meet us at our lowly places, not our well-ordered, comfortable ones. And by the way, all of us end up at those places, every one of us do. Perhaps Jesus was born in a stable to give hope to all those whose lives end up there in an unplanned, desperate, messy, bottom-of-life kind of place. It's the place that He was born because it's the kind of place that He seeks to meet us. This is the good news That the angels were announcing that night, in this unusual birth, even in his birth, Christ identifies with us. He meets us not at our best and our brightest, but at our worst and our lowest, not in our cleaned up and sanitized and perfect little lives. He knows better. He knows the truth about us. And yet he still came. Those of you who are parents know that you're constantly trying to reinforce to your children your unconditional love for them. And I remember saying to my kids many times as they were growing up, there's nothing bad that you can do, nothing that you could do that could ever make me stop loving you. There's nothing. And there's such an important message for them to understand. If I feel that for my children, imagine what our Father in Heaven does, feels for you and me. Look at this quote from J.I. Packer. He said, there's tremendous relief in knowing that his love to me is based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me. We're loved not just on our best days, we're loved on our worst days. And this is the good news. So the promise of Christmas is a promise to rejoice in this fact. Which leads to the final part of the promise. The promise of Christmas is a promise to receive a Savior. To receive a Savior. Look at what the angel said, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a great teacher, a political leader, no, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Somebody once said, That if our greatest need was information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need was technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need was money, God would have sent an economist. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent a Savior. This is what puts the great joy in the good news. (laughs) The fact that we need saving and that God has provided a Savior for you and me. His birth was a part of God's eternal plan for our salvation. Romans chapter 3, the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. That you've sinned, that I've sinned, that there's not a human being on this earth that has not sinned before God. Romans chapter 6 says that the wages of that sin is death. Separation from God is death is the payment of that sin. That's what we deserve. But in God's eternal plan, in his holiness, a payment had to be made for our sin. The sin that we deserve to pay for. So Jesus was sent from eternity past to be born on this earth, to live a sinless life, to die on the cross for you and for me so that our sin might be paid for. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he would say, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So he did for us, Jesus did for us, what we could not do for ourselves. He's a Savior. And by placing our trust in him to save us, to forgive us, we know Salvation. So you take all this that we've been talking about for all these weeks, you take all the prophecies leading up to the birth of Christ, you you talk about this good news, this great joy. What is the bottom line here? What is it that was born at Christmas? If you were to uh, give one word that would describe God's gift to us at Christmas, I think it would be the word hope. Hope was born at Christmas. Hope was born at Christmas. The hope of salvation. That we can can be forgiven. After that, that in Christ, there is the hope of the presence of God in our loneliness. There is the hope of the peace of God in our doubts. There is the hope of the power of God in our weakness. This is the hope, and then after that, still yet to come, is the hope of eternal life. Hope is a beautiful thing, but I'm not talking about the hope of this world. I'm not talking about wishful thinking. I'm talking about we'd yeah, be nice to have kind of hoping. I'm talking about assurance based upon God's word and God's truths, and the fulfillment of those truths in His Son Jesus Christ. You know, it was just a few days ago that I was able to um, pray with, hold the hand, and read Scripture to a person who just had a few days to live. She was at the very, very end. She was losing her battle with cancer. But I want to say to you, she had not lost the battle with hope. there was this amazing hope in that room. Her family was gathered around. There were tears. She knew that she was soon passing from this life to the next. But there was such amazing hope. I saw hope at work. It wasn't wishful thinking. It was this deep, deep abiding assurance and confidence that brought peace in that room. And not only peace, but it was joy. It was an amazing, amazing experience. Hope gives us the ability to grieve and to rejoice at the same time. It's the power to change us in mind and spirit. Someone said that the difference between hope and despair is just a different way of telling stories from the same facts. It's the way that you see life. It's the way that you see life because of the assurance that you have in Christ. So here's the thing about hope, folks. Please get this. Here's the thing about hope. Hope hope is a byproduct. Hope is the result of something else being true in your life. Because this is, this is what is true about hope. And it's not the way the world would think about hope. Again, it's not wishful thinking. Hope results from the one who is hope. Hope is not a thing. Hope is a person. person who wore flesh and blood for you and me, God wrapped in flesh, who was born to say, I'm approachable and I love you. And I'm here to give you this amazing, amazing gift of hope. So as we close our series, what I want to ask you to do now is bow your head and we're going to think and pray and reflect a little bit as we talk about this promise being fulfilled. Thank you for listening to The Brook Podcast. We are real people finding real hope in the real world. Learn more at Brookchurch.net.